God did not give us a small commission, but a great commission to go into all the world and preach the good news of Christ's love and grace. If you think the church is too big, your love for people is too small. Hear me clearly. We will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ, to reach people no one is reaching. We will do things no one is doing. So we're finishing up this four-week series today called Jesus and We. And you have, uh, you have a sheet of paper that has our four big statements that we believe in as a church. And there's a scale on each one, one to ten, and we're asking those of you who are regulars to us to grade yourself, rate yourself on each one of those. The first one is, week one we looked at, we're a faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm, risk-taking church. We will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. Week two, we talked about we are not spiritual consumers, we are spiritual contributors. Because the church does not exist for church people, the church is Christians and we exist for the world. Week three, we said we will lead with irrational generosity because we really believe, we're not just going to say it, we believe that it is better to give than to receive. Now today I want to talk to you about reaching, the value of reaching people who are far from God. If you have your smartphones and if you're uh, following along on version. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2. Now, what what happens is in the first part, we'll read about that later, in the first part, Jesus heals a guy and immediately after that, to um, Levi, who is also called Matthew. Levi is also called what? Matthew. Thank you. I'm just checking to see. Man, I don't know what's going on. We got a short in this. We got to get a new. All right. Just hang with us. We'll try to get a new one by next week. Um, so Matthew is a despised tax collector. Jesus goes to him and then he invites him to be one of his students. And the religious leaders were shocked to say that, that this surprised them was an understatement of the year. Matthew, who's a tax collector, knows that Jesus is known all over the countryside. He's healed people. He's, he's this great teacher. He follows him and he's so excited that Jesus invited him to be a part of his disciples that he throws a party that night and he invites all of his friends to come to the party. Now, if you are a, a tax collector, you're a Jew and you're despised by the Jews. So if you're a despised tax collector, who do you think his friends were that he invited to the party? Other tax collectors and definitely not the good Jews. The good Jews wouldn't associate with him. So bad Jews, tax collectors, maybe even some Romans, they were despised by the Jews. He throws this party and he invites Jesus and the, the tax collectors and the bad Jews. So pick it up in Matthew chapter two, uh, Mark chapter two, starting in verse 16. Later, Levi, what was his name also? Matthew, you know him as Matthew, but Levi was also his name. Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. You must really be bad if you're a disreputable sinner. He had, had not just sinner, disreputable. I look, I love the uh, uh, parentheses here in the New Living Translation. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers, many disreputable sinners among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? That seems harsh, doesn't it? Now, the Pharisees, they were the religious police. This was their job, and it was their job to investigate any new teacher. So they were within their rights to investigate Jesus. However, the Pharisees said, not only do we need to study God's word, we're going to add all these other regulations, all these other religious things, and you have to do them in order to please God. They thought so highly of themselves that they elevated all of their customs, all of their religious things that they said you must do. They elevated that on par with Scripture. Anytime you hear 
any preacher anywhere say, my words are on par with scripture, that should be a red flag, you should run for the hills. Because the scripture is closed, it is completed. It is once for all delivered to the saints. Now we open up the scriptures and we study the scripture, but there is not a man alive today whose whose words are on par with scripture. If they were, we would continue to write the Bible. The Bible would keep getting bigger. You with me? These guys at the time of Jesus said, we're just important as important as God's word. Now, the fact that they made such a statement about people, any people, and said religious scum shows you how highly they thought of themselves and how little they thought of this Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus shocks them with his response. Look what he says. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. See, the Jewish people thought that God was only interested in good people. But when Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless life, he showed us that nobody is good. There's not a single good person. In fact, in Romans, it says no one is righteous, not even one. Jesus showed us we weren't good people. And then he said, I didn't come for good people. I came for people who know they're sinners, not people who think they're right with me, people who know they're sinners. Now, I, I got some pictures because um, I'm a I'm a Facebook um uh, stalker. And so I, I went and I found some pictures, but I want you to see some pictures of people that, that we believe Jesus came for. These are sinners. That's a part of our Haiti team. This is a bunch of sinners. Now we are sinners saved by grace, but we are not good people apart from Jesus Christ. Free Doug, you know, that was, that was, uh, when, when I went into the, the airport and, and had my gun and I was arrested on the way to Haiti. That makes for just a great story. And in fact, I was wearing the shirt the other day. I wasn't paying attention. I wore, um, I wore a Free Doug shirt and somebody said, what's Free Doug? And I said, well, our idiot pastor walked into the, the airport with his gun, dork. He was arrested. We tried to free him. And she goes, oh, really? I said, yeah, he's an idiot. Next picture. Jeff and Teresa Gillis, good friends of mine, but according to scripture, are Jeff and Teresa good people? No, they're sinners saved by grace. Next one. This is Leanne Hensley. Leanne's been coming just a few months, uh, baptized Leanne just a, a few weeks ago. According to scripture, is Leanne a good person? No, she's a sinner saved by grace. Next one. Travis and, and Jamie... <laughs> That's pretty sweet, isn't it? Yeah. That's just messed up right there. That's not as messed up, however, as the next picture. <laughs> Be very careful when you make fun of the preacher. He goes, dude, where'd you find that? I said, man, it's on your Facebook page. He goes, that was like three years ago. It was an Easter egg party, and that, that's a pink basket, in case you can't tell, and that is not a manly pose. <laughs> Now, not only did Jesus come for people, sinners like that, I want you to think about the folks in our, in our, within driving distance of this church who struggle with drugs. Jesus came for them. And I, I believe that not only did Jesus come for them, that's the type of folks he, he would hang out with those type people. See, our church is built on those type people. I want to hang out with people that Jesus would have hung out with. I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be caught up in a bunch of rules. Don't want to do that. I want you to think about the, the, the girl who gets pregnant outside of wedlock and people turn their backs on her. That's who Jesus came for. I want you to think about prostitutes. Jesus came for prostitutes. He came for the worst of the worst. That's what this church is about. That's who we want to reach because I will stand before Jesus one day and I want to say, I did what you did. And I went after people 
Jesus said, I want to seek and to save those that which was lost. If you're not seeking lost people, you're not being like Jesus. So that's who we want to be. Now, you have to understand that, that I've been in church all my life. And until I was 34 years old, I was never told anything like this. What I was told was, if you do these certain rules and you don't do these things, then God will like you and you get into heaven. 34 years from the earliest memories I have, I was in church. My parents took me to church when I was a baby and I grew up in the church and I was 34 before I ever heard um, anything different. Now, here's what we did here. We would hear, don't have sex outside of marriage. And, and my, my generation is pretty question asking. So they were like, why? And they go, because it's bad. Don't drink. Don't, don't, don't get drunk. Why? Because it's bad. Don't cuss. Why? And we're like, really? That's all you've got for us. And, and so I don't remember ever hearing when I was growing up, I don't remember ever hearing why we weren't supposed to do certain things. And then when I was in my mid twenties, before Janie and I got married, I really got serious about my relationship with Jesus. I started studying and I found out that when God tells you no, it's for two positive reasons. How many of you have thought that no is a negative answer? Let me see your hands. You, you've heard no is a negative, not when your heavenly father tells you no. It's always for two positive reasons. And here's what they are. To protect you and to provide for you. To protect you and to provide for you. Let me, let me give you an example. God tells us not to have sex outside of marriage to protect us from all kinds of things. In your mind, I want you to think about if I have two pieces of duct tape here, if I stick two pieces of duct tape together, will they stick together? Yes. Have you ever tried to pull them apart? I've done it here before. I dare you to go home today, stick two together and try to pull it apart without ripping the individual pieces. It goes all over the place. It's pretty funny. Unless the person next to you is just as strong as you, you're going to be pulling them around the room trying to get that apart. Here's the reason. This is what God wants to protect you from. Sex was designed by God for inside the bonds of marriage to bond you together. The more you bond together, the more people that you bond together. Think if you take that, that duct tape and you stick it here and then you stick it on that wall and then you stick it over there. What happens to the duct tape, to the bonding agent on the duct tape? Gets less and less so that eventually you can try to stick it and it doesn't stick anymore. There's no more bonding agent. So God says, don't have sex outside of marriage because I want to protect you and I want to provide for this incredible bonding experience within marriage. Because most people who have sex outside of marriage, they're emotionally not ready. And when they finally break up with that person, it rips a part of their soul. And many of them think, I need to go find another have sex with because that's when I feel whole and then their soul is ripped apart and when they finally get to have a relationship that is a marriage relationship they no longer have that bonding agent that God designed for them he wants to protect you and provide for this God is pro-sex God designed sex God wants you to have fun and and we're going to keep saying sex and inside marriage why is that so funny Casey you know this go Diego go go Dude. <laughs> oh man, there's visitors here, man. We have to, I can't, I don't have time to explain that today. That's a, that's a, I did a sex sermon and that, that was one of the illustrations. So the, the reason that God wants you to have sex inside a marriage is to protect you and provide for you. You see, when, when, when I got married to Janie, she was a virgin. And do you think that it bothered me that she'd never had sex with anybody else? No. 
It's one of the coolest things about my wife. And, and I asked her one, actually I've asked her a couple of times. I said, why? Cause she had plenty of opportunity to have sex. I said, why did you not have sex before you got married? And she said, I was a youth minister. I knew her when she was in a youth group. She said, because I heard you say you weren't going to marry anybody who wasn't a virgin. And I knew I was your girl. Pretty sweet, right? That is one of the coolest things about my relationship with Janie is we saved ourselves for each other. And so God protected us and provided for us. When God says, don't get drunk, he's trying to protect you. And do you understand this? Say yes. Thank you. No one ever taught me that stuff, stuff growing up. What I remember about church is it was very formal, very stuffy. We, we sat in pews and I don't know why I think it's just to torture you and keep you from going to sleep because it's the most uncomfortable seat on the planet. I don't know why we did this. Um, we would, we would stand up. Some dude would say, stand up, take your hymnals and turn over in your hymnals. And as, as a teenager, we would try, we would put them on the ground and we would try turning and we'd try to turn over. What does turn over in your hymnal mean? And we're going to sing stanzas one, two, and four. I don't know what was wrong with stanza three. Joe suggested in the early service that all they're going to sing in heaven is stanza three, you know, because to make up for all the ones we skipped. I don't know what was wrong with it. And in my church, the older people in my church, I grew up Baptist, very Baptist. The older people in my church wanted to make sure you never had fun at church ever. Smiling, no, 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 no. Clapping, oh, man. Tapping your toes, that's of the devil. And if you ever tried to bring drums and guitars into church, oh, well, you're going to hell, you and everybody in that band. Because I can't tell you, even, even when we were singing Christian music, I had people in my churches say, that music is of the devil. And, and I'm just the type, I'm like, music is amoral. It's the lyrics that determine whether it's of the devil or not. When you take scripture and you put it to a beat... Glory to God. I get excited about that. Doesn't anybody else? Y'all had a little fun. I saw you having fun. You even tried to dance. All, all you white people tried to dance during the song earlier. That's all right. That's all right. See, I struggled when, when they told me we couldn't have good music in, in church. I struggled because my very first band that I loved was Boston. That is a picture of the eight track. My very first eight track. Boston. And, and I had the very first, um, uh, boom box. It was one speaker. You see the, the dual. No, 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 no. This was an eight track, one speaker. It took like 187 D cell batteries. So nobody could afford to carry it portable, but it was called portable. And I would hold, you know, I'd had the strap. It was, it was awesome. And they, they had guitars and the singing and it was just as great. They even had good organ music. And I didn't think that existed. It didn't exist in my church. And we just played, did y'all hear earlier? We just played some organ music earlier and sang a hymn to it. It was good, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. See, we would go to youth camp and we'd have these great speakers talking to teenagers and we would have these bands come in and, and they would play good music. And then we would go home and we would sing hymns and listen to bad sermons. And there was this huge disconnect for me. And I said, this can't be the life that Christ calls us to. So when we started New Life, we said, we're going to have good music. We're going to have a beat. And our, our band, we started out 15 years ago. We weren't very good. I love our band now. Not only do I love the people in the band, they're very talented. When we go, Janie and I go to conferences and we go to these massive churches, tens of thousands of people go to these churches and their band comes out and they sing some of the same songs we do. I go, yeah, we're happening. Nobody else? Wow. I like it. 
And we discovered, we believe that any good father loves it when his children laugh. And we say that God is the perfect heavenly father and, and we love laughing in church. And in fact, when, when we just be ourselves, we're goofy. You can, how much goofier can you get than John Colander doing Doug Washburn impersonation? But we discovered that when we're, or, or Thatcher, if y'all hadn't seen Thatcher's, I need to put it on Facebook. I'm putting it on this week because you need to see Thatcher's interview, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we just think that when people laugh, here's what I discovered by accident. When people laugh, these walls, these defensives that they put up around their heart fall. And all of a sudden the spirit of God invades and takes the word of God and he changes their heart. And we said, we want to be a part of that every week. So we're not going to apologize for the way we do church. Because we started 15 years ago, we started with lost people. People are far from God in mind. And I've discovered that lost people want to hear the truth. They just want to know why it matters today. We think it's a sin to take the word of God and make it boring because it's the most relevant book on the planet. So we teach the way Jesus taught. He used humor. He used illustrations. He used object lessons. He was the greatest teacher ever. And and smarter people than me have actually studied Jesus' teaching, and they found out that Jesus would teach a little bit about doctrine, then he would apply it. He would teach a little bit about doctrine, and then they would apply it. And we we discovered, they, they found out that, that at least 50% of the sermon Jesus ever did was about Application. How do you apply the word of God? We want to teach like that because we believe when you discover God's word, when you apply God's word, whether you're a Christian or not, you can use God's word and you'll find out it works and it's supernatural. It's the, it's the best-selling book of all times and it works because God made sure that we have copies of it that are accurate, copies of the scripture that are accurate, they're in our language, you can understand them and follow God's word, he's going to change your life. And so God is, is calling us as a church to reach people who are far from God and help them become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now let's go back to chapter two, verse one. I'm going to hold this thing or something. This driving me nuts. Mark chapter two, starting in verse one, when Jesus returned to Capernaum. Okay. Where was Jesus born? No, no, Bethlehem, man, we did this just a few weeks ago. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Where was his hometown? Nazareth. And then I told you just a few weeks ago, and I'm going to cut you some grace on this one, that his adopted hometown was Capernaum. Where was he born? Where was he from? Where was his adopted hometown? Woo! Oh, wait, I just, dead gum. John just did that. I did I hate it when I confirm the impression. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home to his adopted hometown. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his right, uh, on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, "'My child, your sins are forgiven.'" He, ne- he didn't heal him first. The first thing he did was he took care of his greatest need, which was the spiritual need. God always prioritizes the spiritual over the physical. He does that because your spiritual life continues forever. Your physical life doesn't. God always prioritizes spiritual over physical. This life is temporary, so it only makes sense. Now, the way we're going to express this reality here at our church is we're going to say we will do anything short of sin 
to reach people who don't know Christ, to reach people no one is reaching, we will do things no one is doing. Now, you've got your, your scale, your rating of 1 to 10 in front of you. Past three weeks, we've been doing this. 1 is, is worst, 10 is best. 1 is, I want people to go to hell, and that's the devil, and we don't believe you're the devil, so nobody in here should be a 1. 2 is, I'm not real worried about people going to hell, and I've actually had people, church members at New Life say, I don't care about lost people. They're not here anymore because we're going to teach over and over and over again that lost people matter to God and we're going to go after them. Now, don't put a 10 unless you're, you're Jesus or Billy Graham. We're not saying Billy is Jesus, but he's done more than anybody else to bring people to Christ. So we're going to let Billy be a 9.5. Jesus would be a 10. So, but let me tell you, before you rate yourself, let me tell you something. If you're an eight or a nine, here's what's true of you. You probably have led someone to Christ in this calendar year. You probably are praying for people by name who are far from God that you love and you want to see them come into the kingdom. You probably brought somebody to church with you, a lost person to church with you last week. You probably brought a lost person to church this week. You probably already know who you're going to invite next week to church. That's an eight or a nine. Now, if you're down at the other end, let me tell you what's true of you. You're apathetic. If you're a two or a three, you probably have never led someone to the Lord. You probably don't even think about praying for people who are far from God because it's just not something that, that, that you think about. And I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just trying to say, let's be honest because we can't get where God wants us to go if we don't know where we are. So I'm saying, look at your actions. Don't say, yes, I believe lost people matter to God. If you never do anything to reach lost people, Let's say what your actions teach us about that, and let's be honest and put it down on the scale. Ready, set, go, rate yourself. Quit looking up here. Look down or close your eyes. Come up with a number. Jesus said, I want to seek and to save that which was lost. Don't claim to be a fully devoted follower of Christ if you're not doing what Jesus did. Now, I want to tell you how anybody here can reach someone who's far from God. Two big thoughts on how to reach people far from God. Number one, God calls every one of us to bear some burdens. That means to care for some people who are hurting. I love this story. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They didn't say, yo, dude, we heard Jesus going to be at the civic center. You should go. (laughs) They went to his house and they said, we heard the healer is in town. And we don't care how far it is. We're going to carry you to see Jesus. They showed him how much they cared. Now, how many of you know what a drive-by shooting is? All right, this is a bad thing. People drive by, you know, roll down the window. That's a bad thing. I think a lot of Christians do drive-by witnessing. Here's what I mean by that. They're not involved in a person's life. They kind of just drive by or they just kind of go by their desk or whatever. And they go, "Hey, hey, dude, you should go to my church. See ya. Right? That's the nice ones. The mean ones, the rude ones. They say, hey, dude, you're going to hell. That's where the worm never dies. And the Bible says you'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing your teeth, sucker. Have a good day. How effective do you think that is? Not. When I've led more people to Christ than at any other time in my life is when someone has gone through a crisis when I'm there to listen, to pray for them, to help them, God does something amazing in that, that moment and somebody comes into the kingdom of God. Some folks are, are going to say, well, I don't know how to, how to tell anybody about Christ. I don't know how to share my faith. Well, that's not true. But let me just say, 
You will never have an opportunity to tell someone about the God you love if you don't show that person that you care. It's that thing, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If you aren't involved in their lives, then you're showing them you don't care and they're not going to want to have anything to do with the Jesus that you say you follow. I want new lifers to bear some burdens. What if we started asking people, what can we pray for in your life? And we really prayed for those things. What if we heard about folks without clothes or without food and we took, I actually got to do this this week. Somebody called and said, Hey, um, we're, we're desperate. Do you have any food? And I said, yes, we have a, a food box ministry. And I went and loaded up two boxes. The coolest thing in the world to, was to go and deliver that food. What if that was a regular occurrence at New Life Community Church? Do you think that would make a difference in people's lives? Would they, would they be interested in the God that we say we serve? Sure. What if we found out that somebody's house was falling apart and we got our small group together and we said, let's go do something about it. Do you think that would make an impact in our community? Yes. What if instead of inviting people to church, we went and picked them up and brought them to church and said, hey, I want to take you to church and then I want to take you out to lunch and you can ask me anything you want to about God or about the church. You think anybody would take you up on that? Probably. These four guys come to Jesus and they can't make it in because the crowd is so big. They're listening and you know everything Jesus said was tweetable. Oh, that was a good one, Jesus. Take a picture. Hashtag hanging with the Savior. What's the other one? I forget what I put the second. Jesus is so cool. I'm not trying to beat up on people inside the room, but this story is not famous because of the people in the room with Jesus. What made this story powerful is the people outside the walls who said, we will do anything we can to get our friend to Jesus. That's why they're in the scripture. It's not the people in the room. We can get so caught up in our Christian thing that we don't see people who are hurting. And when they know, they find out we're Christians and our backs are to them without even meaning to, we're saying, you can go to hell and I don't care. People don't know. People don't care how much you know about Jesus till they, till you show them how much you care. So when, when someone's crying, we should be, somebody in our church should be crying with them. When someone loses a loved one, you don't just say, I'm sorry for your loss. You go to the funeral, you cook meals, you do whatever is necessary to show the love of Christ to those people. When they're in need, we bear some burdens and we earn the right to be heard. We don't just drive by, Jesus loves you. We show them his love before we ever tell them about his love. That's an effective church. So we're going to bear some burdens. Now, some of you are going to like this next one. God has has called us all not only to bear some burdens, but to break some rules. Oh, yeah. Y'all didn't get excited. The early service, they're like, yeah, break some rules. Now, let me say this. You don't ever bring someone to Christ by breaking the rules of Christ. With me, you don't violate scripture to try to win someone to Christ. I'm talking about breaking man-made rules. And you know, I've never been a rule follower. I'm a rule breaker. I never waited 30 minutes after I ate to go swimming, ever. I'm a rule breaker. I didn't wear seatbelts as a kid. My mom was the seatbelt. I stood up in the front seat. And and what happens if somebody pulls out in front of you, slam on their brakes? Now they've done Mythbusters and they've done, you know, studies on that and showed it would have broken your arm and you still would have been a projectile and you might have taken your arm, your mom's arm with you. But anyway, rule breaker. <laughs> I ran with scissors and a sucker in my mouth all the time. And I even sniffed some magic markers. I was a rule breaker. Now in this story, there are four guys who break some rules. 
because they come and they, and Jesus is teaching people around. We can't even, let's go to the roof. We can't get through the roof. Now I want you to understand in this, in this culture, in the Hebrew culture, they built houses with flat roofs and one commentary said they would have beams about three feet apart and they would make this mixture of mud, straw and manure. Yes, I said manure and that would help it stick together. And the manure would actually act as fertilizer and grass would grow on the top of this flat roof. They had stairs on the outside that would lead you up there and people would go up there, take naps. Sometimes they would have meetings up there, all kinds of stuff. Now, I don't know how they got through the roof. I don't know how they dug through. Maybe one was, you know, like a Boy Scout. Here's my shovel. You never know when you're going to need. I don't know, maybe. But I want you to remember that one of the ingredients on the roof was manure. Because sometimes you got to dig through some stuff to get people to Jesus. Some of you need to confess the word you just thought in church. There's a hashtag for you. Sometimes you got to dig through some stuff to get people to Jesus. I'm just saying there's some religious junk out there that kind of stinks. And sometimes it's a hindrance to getting people into the kingdom of God and you got to dig through it. So, so they're digging through and, and you know, the, the dirt starts falling. Everybody's around. You can't get in. They're digging through the roof. The dirt starts falling. The light comes in. I can just see the, the owner going, state farm ain't never going to believe this one, you know? Some dudes dug through my roof. Yeah, no, we're not covering that. And, and, okay, so I'm up there with the guys and, and me and Casey. Casey's one of my friends and, and so we're up there and, and, and we got Thatcher and we got Ricky and so we're like, dude, there's Jesus. How we get him down there? I don't know if we grab an arm's legs. I don't know if we grab the end of the mat, but here's what I, here's what I think. I think there's no way they got him all the way down from the roof to Jesus. I think they're like, how far to go? About six feet. And I think they're just like, okay, on three, because it's not like we're going to paralyze him anymore. Ready, go. <laughs> Jesus heals a broken butt. I don't know. What, what, the, what happened? <laughs> These guys just broke some rules because they said, we, we don't want to get our friend to Jesus. We have to. That change in mindset that, that would, impact the kingdom. I don't just want my friends to come to Christ. I have to get my friends to Christ. These guys aren't going to let any obstacles stop them. You know, Oh, there's no parking places up close to church. I guess God doesn't want me to go today. No, these guys broke some rules. And I read a story this week about a guy who goes to a really big church and and he has 18 convicted felons who work for him. And I don't even know if this is legal or not, but he's told the felons, he said, since I pay you, you're going to church with me every week. So this dude shows up every week with 18 convicted felons. And at the time I read it, they said that 15 of them had accepted Christ and been baptized to tell the world that I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, that's the type of church I want to be a part of. Here's the key to reach people. No one's reaching. We're going to have to do some things. No one's doing. And we're do them over and over. We're going to do some things that maybe normal churches aren't doing, and we're not going to do some things that normal churches are doing. Not that we are worried about normal churches, not that we're throwing rocks at normal churches. Our target is people who are far from God, and we will do anything to reach them. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. And every person here is a Christian. You were once sick. You were once lost in sin. Somebody broke some rules. Somebody dug through some religious junk 
to make sure that you met Jesus. And so I, I see a church full of people who were lost and now they've been found and they want others to be found who know what it's like to be a dark sinner, lost, bound for hell, to be rescued. And they're willing to do anything to get people to Christ. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would light us on fire, that we would have a love for people who are far from God, that we would have a desperation to bring people into because we know that we're talking about eternity. Help us to become the church that you would be proud of, that, that would do anything short of sin to reach lost people. Now, with your heads bowed, I just want to ask, how many of you would like to say, man, I, I want God to give me a greater heart for people who are far from God. Would you raise your hands if that's you? All right, that's a lot of us. Dear God, answer that prayer so that we will not want to get people here. We will be desperate to get people into your presence. Give us your power. Give us your grace. Help us to have influence in the lives of lost people so that we can bring them into your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you have a, a card. Everybody has a business card. Hold up your business card. It says Football Sunday. Next Sunday, we are going to be showing a video with testimonies from uh, players in the NFL. 18 players is what I just read on Friday. 18 players from the two Super Bowl teams will be sharing at least uh, a little bit on this video. What we want you to do with that card is is this is a great time. This is a Matthew party that we're having next Sunday morning. We'll have rock and music. We'll have a, a, the, the video. But we want you to take that card. We want you on the backside to write your name and your phone number. And then I want you give that to someone, invite them to come to church. They have your number so that they can find you when they get here. Because what's the most intimidating thing is to go to church by yourself, not know anybody the first time. We want you to reach out to other people. Great opportunity to do it. Hey, we're having a video. The preacher's not even preaching next week. Woo! Great time to come try it.